Well, good morning. If you have your copy of God's Word, if you will turn with us to Ephesians chapter 2 as we continue our Better Together series. And uh, we have looked at just some of the most amazing passages in all of Scripture dealing with the gospel of Jesus Christ and how he has brought us uh, near and God the Father has adopted us into his family. And so uh, today we're going to look at that family and uh, we're going to kind of recognize that you know, like all families, there's certainly some issues that we have to deal with. And I think this passage that we're going to look at today is extremely relevant to us, probably for many reasons, but for a couple that just kind of jump out at us. First of all, uh, sociologists who study spirituality in America say that two seemingly contradictory things are true in regards to Americans' spiritual lives. First of all, uh, spiritual interest is at an all-time high in our country. People are really religiously hungry, but at the same time, there is a decided move away from institutional religion. There is a push to not attend churches. Uh, it's seen as institutionalism. And 81% uh, of Americans answered yes to this question. Do you believe you can be a very good Christian without attending a church 81 percent yeah of course you can be a good christian without attending a church well paul is going to get into that uh, in this passage of scripture the importance of being a part of the family of god we are better together this is a biblical principle this, this is not a church growth movement principle the reason why it works is because this is god's intended way for the family of god to meet but the second reason this passage is so relevant to us is that Paul gives us a prescription for unity in the church. If, if all believers are adopted into God's family and we come to gather together in a church, then there is a very distinct possibility and hopefully a probability that there's going to be a very diverse group of people that show up to this family meeting. So division in the churches that Paul started was a real issue. Because for the first couple thousand years, God's people had all been Jewish. And then Jesus shows up with this whosoever will program, let them come, and a bunch of Gentiles believe too. And so now, in these churches that Paul had started and that other apostles had started, you've got Gentiles sitting next to Jews. The Gentiles had their own customs, their own fashion, they had their own music preferences, they had their own political viewpoints. And so, let's just be honest, it was a mess. Let's call it a dysfunctional family, at the very least. Well, 2,000 years later, here we are, and it's still a mess. Many people in our day love the concept of multicultural society and ministry. But achieving that multicultural ministry and family has proven to be quite difficult. And this passage not only shows us the importance of diversity in the church, but it also shows us how we can achieve unity. And really, to be honest with you, in the society that we live in, to move beyond just simple virtue signaling. We're not just simply trying to say we ought to be diverse for the sake of looking like we care. So here's what we're going to do today. We're going to just walk our way through this passage of Scripture uh, that's my preferred method of studying the Bible and also teaching the Bible. And then we're going to answer a couple of questions. 
question. One of those questions is, why should we be deeply committed to the local church? And then secondly, how can unity be achieved within the church? Well, the first question really is answered in this, in this passage of Scripture simply by the fact that this is how God designed it. Why should we be committed to the church? Listen, you cannot be committed to God the Father, to God the Son, to God the Spirit. You cannot claim to be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ and neglect His family. It does not work. That's just, that's just basic biblical worldview there. Paul says in verse 11, Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision which, made, which is made in the flesh by hands. Now that's kind of a confusing way to start this sentence or to start this section here because we wouldn't necessarily understand what he's talking about. By Gentiles, he just means non-Jews. Many, if not most, of these Ephesian Christians were Gentiles. They were not Jews by birth. They were not having any plans to become part of the Jewish community. Okay, we'll get back to some of the other confusing parts of verse 11 in just a second. But verse 12 says, Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. See how it says there back to back in verse 12, this parallel between you've been separated from Christ and alienated from Israel. Why does it say it like that? Well, that's because they were one and the same. If you wanted to belong to God, you had to belong to Israel. If you wanted to know God, you had to become Jewish. In the Old Testament, we see this several times. Think about people like Rahab or people like Ruth. They actually had to essentially join the Jewish community in order to be a part of God's family. Well, in the New Testament, all that gets turned over on its head because Jesus comes and, come and, and basically offers salvation to anyone who would believe. And so for the Ephesian Gentile Christians, they needed to understand this same principle, but in a different way. And so for the Gentile believers in, in Ephesus, and also for those of us today, we have to be reminded of this. You were strangers separated from God, not because of nationality. That was, that was just a picture of salvation, but that wasn't really what was God's point. But we were separated from God. We were strangers separated from God because of our sinfulness. And so the language that he uses here in verse 11 is this. We were cut off from God's family. Verse 11. Remember that at one time you Gentiles, non-Jews in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. He's using this very vivid imagery of circumcision. And it's vivid. We'd probably rather not talk about it in public settings. But his point is very clear. Okay, You were cut off from the body of God's family. And so that's who you were. That symbolism there, reminding them of the fact that they were not a part of God's family. You were cut off from God's family. And because you were cut off from God's family, you were also alienated from God's promises. Verse 12, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from 
the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. So, again, much like last week, just being reminded of who you were before Christ, but really for those of us that are not Jewish, we're reminded of the fact that we were not a part of God's family. And it really didn't have anything to do with nationality. Ultimately, for us, it had to do with our sinfulness, our rebellion, the fact that we were separated from God, we were cut off, we were not a part of him, we were alienated not only from his family, but also from his promises. And last week we were reminded, but God, being rich in mercy and grace, offered to us his son Jesus. So Christ came to reconcile you to God, to bring you home. That's why the title of the message today is Welcome Home. You were not a part of the family. You were alienated from God's family. You were cut off from God's family. But now Christ came to reconcile you to God. Verse 13 is such a beautiful verse. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. By abolishing the law of commandments, expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. You know who did that? You didn't do that. I didn't do that. We didn't do that. The world certainly cannot do that. The only one that could break down the dividing wall was Jesus Christ, God's only begotten Son. And he came and he gave his life to take our place, to bring peace, and to reconcile us to God. There was a little girl that asked her father uh, one day if, if he would give her something to do. She was bored. She didn't want to do schoolwork. She didn't want to go outside and play. It was raining outside. And so he was flipping through a magazine at the time, and he looked down, and there in the magazine was a, was a page that had the picture of the globe on it. It was kind of stretched out. It had all of the different countries, and a lot of the different cities were named on it. So he tore that page out of the magazine and he ripped it into several different pieces, different shapes, and he took it and he mixed it all up together and he laid it down on the coffee table and he told her, he said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take these pieces, I want you to put the picture of the world back together again and uh, then I want us to kind of sit down and talk about it. Now here was his intention. His intention ultimately was to give her several minutes to be able to work with that. And because she didn't really know what the globe looked like, what the world looked like, uh, it probably was going to be very difficult for her. And then he would be able to come in and they would be able to put those pieces together. And his intention was kind of to teach her some geography while at the same time spending time with his daughter. Well, about five minutes later, she came back to her father and showed him the picture. And all the pieces had been put back together perfectly. And he was astonished by that. He thought there's no way without knowing the different countries and the cities and how they went together that she would be able to do that. And when he asked her how she'd done it so quickly, this was her response. Oh, well, on the back of that was a picture of Jesus. So I figured if I got him right, then the world would just fall into place. Hey, listen, this is Paul's point. The world is divided. The world is in chaos. The world is very diverse and we come from a lot of different backgrounds, and we don't have all of the same uh, agendas, and we have very different biases. And, and yet, 
It is Christ who reconciles us to the family of God. It's so true that in a world filled with chaos, we cannot put things back together in the right way because we've taken our focus off the one who makes it right. Jesus broke down the wall between us. That's who opened up the opportunity for us to be a part of a very diverse but unified family of God. The Jewish temple was surrounded by literal wall it was about 10 feet high made of thick stone with a sign on it that read and i quote any gentile entering beyond this wall will have only himself to blame for his ensuing death clearly they had not kept up with the church growth movements and with seeker sensitive uh, ideas about how to get people and how to grow the church this wall separated in the jewish mind the good people from the bad people the clean from the unclean the safe from the unsafe. Now, let's take a moment, take a step back, and let's acknowledge that we may be, in many instances, politically correct enough not to post signs on our doors that say, you're not welcome here, okay? We probably wouldn't do that, but we still have walls in our mind that separate what we think are the right kinds of people and the wrong kinds of people. The good from the bad. The safe from the unsafe. Sometimes it's racial. White, black, Hispanic, Asian. But it may not have anything to do with race. It could be education levels. Maybe you only feel comfortable being around people who have a similar education level to you. Or maybe you just don't like people who are educated because you think those people are untrustworthy. They're always trying to take stuff from me. Maybe it could be a wall in your mind separating the successful in your mind from the unsuccessful. Those who have what it takes and those who don't. And you only want to spend your time with successful people because you think they'll build you up. Or maybe you're scared of successful people because they intimidate you. A wall between what the world tends to think of good-looking people or popular people. Or, or, or perhaps you don't like being around people that the world considers to be nerds. Maybe you just feel inferior mentally to them. There are so many walls that divide us. Right now, political walls are killing our country. You think people with one political philosophy are all mostly good, and one from the other political philosophy are mostly evil. Those from good families, and those who have messed up families. Look, it doesn't make any difference what dividing walls we've put in our mind. It doesn't make any difference how we view other people, but we have walls. Who is it that you feel a natural kinship or bond with to whom you think you think of those people, those other people as others, the other people, the outsiders, the foreigners. They're unlike you. They're unsafe, maybe even potential enemies. Here's the thing. Christ tore down all of those dividing walls. Paul said in Christ, there's only one category of people. We were reminded of this last week. We'll be reminded of it this week. There's only one category of people, sinners. That's all of us. When it came to God, we were all cut off. We were all on the outside. There were no good people or bad people, winners or losers, people who have it together and dysfunctional people. There's only bad, dead, sin-sick, rebel children of Satan, sons and daughters of disobedience without God and without hope in this world who were destined for God's wrath. That's who we were. And Jesus' blood, Paul says in verse 14, has cleansed all of us alike. So Jesus brought us near to the Father. Verse 16, and he, that he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. 
in Jesus, there's only one kind of sinner, a dead one. And there's only one type of believer, an alive one in Christ, that's been fully adopted into God's family because of His work. We are partakers in His glorious inheritance. That's the end of the story. Hallelujah. Amen. Somebody, this is the story of how Christ broke down the dividing wall between us, but more importantly, between us and God. And He brought us near to Him so that we might be adopted into His family, which means we are one family in the household of God. We're very different. We don't look the same. But that's why the church is so important. We need each other. We have to draw near to each other. You cannot be a Lone Ranger Christian. You cannot just watch the church and pray and hope that you're doing your best because that's not how God has designed us. That's why we're better together. That's why we need to be here together. That's why we are one family in the household of God. Verse 18 and 19. For through Him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members, don't miss this, of the household of God. Now, who wants to get a membership to something and then never attend? You, you don't buy season passes to Disney and never go. But Christ has purchased and bought you membership, adoption into the family of God. This is where you need to be. And by the way, just another reminder, we see the whole Trinity involved again when it comes to the church. The Father is the architect of the church. The Son is the foundation of the church. The Spirit builds the church. We're just reminded of the fact that in His family, now we have the same Father. We're a family. We, we should be a diverse family, but we're a family nonetheless. And by the way, the fact that we are diverse or that we should be diverse is how we display the multifaceted wisdom of God in this world i mean a group of people sharing one culture getting together is not miraculous you can see that at any football game you can see that at any rock concert you can see that at any political rally that's not miraculous the same types of people gathering together we're comfortable around them we have the same beliefs and ideas and same focus and same purpose but when you have a group of people who have very little in common except for a common experience of God's grace through Jesus Christ that points to the magnitude of the gospel and the power of the new man that's been created by the resurrection, the resurrection of Christ and the res resurrection of your old dead sinful self. We once were dead, but we've been made alive in Christ Jesus. The world should look at us and should ask, why do these people love each other? And this is what we see in Scripture. You think about the, you think about the types of people that were brought into God's family, that were brought into the household of faith. Simon the Zealot. I mean, he was, he was a part of a very radical, rebellious, political group that wanted to overthrow the Romans. And yet, he was brought in as a disciple next to Matthew, the tax collector, who worked for the Romans, who took money from people like Simon for the Romans, and yet they existed together in the disciples with Christ Jesus. Nicodemus, the Pharisee, the Samaritan woman, the adulterer. How do these people coexist in the family of God? People wondered, why do these guys love each other so much? I mean, this kind of unity is hard. 
It takes some serious commitment. But the commitment is to the one who has redeemed you by his grace. Our Father gives us that purpose to which we can set aside our differences and focus on what makes us the same. We have been redeemed through the blood of Jesus. Welcome home. We have the same Father. And that Father gives us the same purpose. We're members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. You know what our purpose is? The glory of God. For others to look at us and say, how can they make it through these hard, chaotic times and still bring glory to God? And the answer to that question is simple. We don't. He does. How can they be so different and, and yet combine around a common purpose? Well, it's not for our glory. It's for His glory. The moment we start focusing on our glory, you want your glory and I want my glory, and our differences begin to be highlighted. But when it's not about me and not about you and not about our agendas and our biases, but it's about what brings us together, the Father that has adopted us into the same family, we can say, welcome home. We're very different. And yet, look at what God's doing in and through us. Satan hates this kind of unity, especially in the church, because this is how God gets glory. And he wants to obscure it. He wants us to be fighting. He wants us to be divided. He wants us to be in different services. And he wants us to be at home and some in church and some not attending at all. He wants us to have that dividing wall rebuilt. But Christ came to tear it down. This is a spiritual battle. And we should always be aware that he is working in us to try and undo it. I'm, I'm fascinated by the fact that many times I get I'm counseling people and talking to people within our church, but a lot of times outside in the community. They're looking for help uh, in different areas. And, and one of the things that's just a real big problem in our society today is alcoholism. And I've always been kind of amazed by the remarkable movements in the modern times of Alcoholics Anonymous and how it has helped many people throughout the years. And you may have di uh, opinions about Alcoholics Anonymous, but I want you to think about how it works. It's a fellowship of men and women who share their experience, their strength and hope with each other in order that they might solve their common problem and help each other to recover from alcoholism. Now, it's not affiliated with any type of religious organization, but it was founded at least somewhat on Christian principles, and its success has spawned various other 12-step programs some of them have to do with like Narcotics Anonymous or Overeaters Anonymous. There's lots of different things where this 12-step program helps in many ways. Now, but here's the striking feature of Alcoholics Anonymous. The degree to which social barriers are broken down. AA meetings are attended by very diverse groups of people that would not normally associate with one another. If you were to attend an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting right here, in Ocala, you very well might be sitting next to a city council member on one side and a homeless person on the other side. You might be in the same group with someone that's just recently been released from prison and a police officer. You might be sitting next to someone who is a household name and people all around the city would know it and someone who lives under a bridge. 
you meet people who are very different from each other. But they all in some way have been outcast in their area of society because they have a common problem. But in AA, there are no dividers of gender, class, race. And the unity and diversity that results to help members to achieve their primary purpose of staying sober and ultimately reaching com complete sobriety overrules all of the differences. Now, look, that's a beautiful thing. And I think we should celebrate those kinds of things. But can we be honest for just a second? They didn't invent these principles. Those 12-step programs and stuff didn't just come out of thin air. Here's the reality. For everybody in the world, we all have the same problem. We are sinners. We've been separated from God. We're outcasts. And there is only one way for us to get back to being reconciled to God. There's only one Savior, Jesus. And God, through, for those who believe, God has adopted us back into His family, the church, the household of God. And He's given us one purpose, His glory. And, and yet, we also have His power through His Spirit to accomplish what He's called us to accomplish. There is no way for us to ever repay God for what He's done. There is simply for us to say, Father, we give ourselves to You. What do You want us to do? Let me tell you what He wants you to do. He wants you to be a part of His family for His glory until He returns to take us home with Him. We have a job to do. And that purpose ought to bring us together. You know, there's no better way for us to finish out this Better Together series than what families do to gather around the table and to be able to break bread together and to celebrate communion in Christ, the blood that was shed for our salvation, the body that was broken so that we might be set free. Here's the reality that we face. Jesus Christ wants to do something in and through each of us and all of us for the glory of God until He returns. That's what communion's all about. We, get, we gain our strength from Him, our purpose from Him, and we wait and long for the time when He will come home, when He will come and take us home to be with Him. Welcome home until we get to go home. This is the beauty of communion. But before we do that, like with any other time we come to the Lord's table, we need to take a moment and we need to do some self-evaluation. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 27 through 29, it says, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. Here's what I want us to do. I want us to take just a moment with heads bowed and eyes closed in this building and those that are watching. Just bow your head. Close your eyes. If you weren't prepared to take communion, maybe you just want to hit pause today and you want to go and get the elements so you can participate as well. But we're going to take a moment, just you and God, reflecting on your life, reflecting on your relationships, reflecting on whether or not you've been with the family of God or you've been neglecting the family of God or maybe it's time to come home. And right now, you and God just doing business. Father, help reveal to me the sin in my life that I might confess it to you and be ready to come to your table with clean hands and with a pure heart. With heads bowed, with eyes closed, 
you doing business with God right now in this moment, allowing him to transform your heart, to prepare you to be a part of his family for his glory. Let's bow our heads, close our eyes, and just for a moment, you and God doing business for his glory. At this time, as we come to the Lord's table, I want you to join me in a word of prayer, of thanks for the bread uh, that we are about to receive that represents the body of Christ. And so if you would just join me as we pray for the bread. Father, thank you for just the simple fact that Jesus Christ, our Savior, the only Savior of the world, was willing to allow his body to be broken, to allow his flesh to be striped. Not because he'd done anything wrong, but because of our sin, because of our failures, because of our shortcomings. God, as we come to this table together as your family, may we remember it should have been us. Help us to never forget that his body was broken in our place. Thank you for Jesus. In his name we pray, amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 through 24. Paul writes, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he'd given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now, if you would join me in another prayer for the cup that represents the blood of Jesus. Pray with me. Father, again, we come to you and we thank you for Jesus, our Savior. We're reminded what you told us in Scripture, that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. And yet, the single greatest sacrifice the world needed and that ever came was the sacrifice of your son, Jesus, who allowed his body to be pierced for our transgressions, who allowed his blood to be shed for the forgiveness of our sins. Father, once again, may we never forget, it should have been us. But Jesus took our place, and so we thank you for Jesus. In his name we pray, amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 25. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me.
That very next verse says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This is the beauty of our common purpose. We recognize that we have been saved by grace through faith, not of works. We cannot boast. This is the gift of God. Jesus Christ, in spite of our sinfulness, came, gave his life, that we might have life, that we might be set free, that we could be joined together, adopted into the family of God, and that we might live for one singular purpose, for the glory of God, until he calls us home to be in his presence forever. Right now, we wait until he returns, but we wait with purpose, and that purpose is to serve him. May we be found faithful because God is always faithful. Pray with me as we close this morning. Father, there is no way we could ever repay you for what we have in Jesus Christ. But God, because your steadfast love endures forever, because your promises are always real, your covenants you always keep, God, may we be found faithful. Faithful to you, faithful to your church, faithful to your mission for your glory. Have your way in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.